Hello, welcome to the Healing of Emotional Wounds podcast series. My name is Alan Mulhern. This is the last podcast of this season on the healing of emotional wounds. Those who have followed the podcasts will now better understand the wording of the title of the book that has underpinned this series, Healing Intelligence, The Spirit in Psychotherapy, Working with Darkness and Light. We finish today with the second podcast on the secret of the golden flower. This season has had a podcast emerging every week for 24 weeks since August 2018. I now intend to take a small break, possibly of a week or two, before starting the next season on the quest, which will be an exploration of the world's great visionaries, with a particular focus on the evolving crises of the 21st century. This will be a wide interdisciplinary venture, but will always have a psychotherapy, especially a Jungian perspective. The future podcasts will be available every two weeks. For those who are interested, there is also another book I published in 2015 called The Sower and the Seed, which is a mythopoetic expression of the philosophy underpinning the series to come. For those who want a deeper study of the visionaries, there is also currently running the Quest series, which is a far more in-depth exploration. For details, you may consult the website alanmulhern.com. And now at the secret of the Golden Flower, part two. In 1930, Young gave an eulogy at a memorial service in Munich for Richard Wilhelm. He said, I heard from him in clear language the things I had dimly divined in the confusion of the European subconscious. I received more from him than from any other man. And he said that Wilhelm, quote, injected us with the living germ of the Chinese spirit. And we found ourselves partaking of the spirit of the East as we experienced the living power of the I Ching. It is capable of working a profound transformation of our thought, unquote. Through their frequent communications in the 1920s, Jung incorporated Taoist philosophy into his principles of psychotherapy through his study of Richard Wilhelm's translations of the I Ching and The Secret of the Golden Flower. These confirmed his developing views on synchronicity, the nature of the unconscious, and also a circular psychological development for the individuation process. Wilhelm's work was one of great importance to Jung, since it clarified his effort to find a soul for the modern European, the absence of which, he believed, was the source of their suffering. Let us look at the commentary Jung wrote for The Secret of the Golden Flower. He wrote it to support Richard Wilhelm's attempt to bring esoteric Chinese meditation texts to the West via his translations. This had a dual aim, as Jung firstly wished to rebalance the position of East and West, pointing to the limitations of the Western mind and the wisdom and sometimes superiority of the Eastern philosophy. And secondly, to make the obscure Eastern concepts of the secret of the golden flower more accessible by showing their similarity to many concepts in the West, especially his own school of psychology. 
In the introduction, he begins by justifying the Chinese meditation text, its wisdom, balance and intelligence, and points to the deficiencies of the Western position, its excessive reliance on consciousness, scientific one-sidedness, depreciation of the irrational and the unconscious. He proposes that analytical psychology can bridge the gap between East and West. He sees in Chinese metaphysics a more whole and healthy balance of the psyche. Jung observes that there is no direct Western equivalent for the Tao, though it is similar to our concepts of consciousness or light. Its purpose, he says, is to unite what has been separated, human nature and life, which he translates as the conscious and the unconscious. He observes the light of heaven which dwells between the eyes as the heart of heaven is used synonymously with Tao. Essence and life are contained in the light of heaven and are the most important secrets of Tao. Light is the symbolic equivalent of consciousness and the nature of consciousness is expressed by analogies with light. He quotes from the Book of Consciousness and Life. If thou wouldst complete the diamond body, without emanations, diligently heat the roots of consciousness and life, kindle light in the blessed country ever close at hand, and there hidden let thy true self eternally dwell. He notes an alchemistic instruction as to the method or way of creating the diamond body. Heating is necessary, that is, there must be a heightening of consciousness in order that the dwelling place of the spirit can be illumined. But not only consciousness, life itself must be heightened. The union of these two produces conscious life. In part two, in the circular movement in the centre, Jung explains the importance of symbols to express the unconscious in general. The mandala is an example of an archetypal symbol found in all cultures across time and is central to the golden flower, which is a mandala symbol in itself. The text promises to reveal the secret of the golden flower, which is the light of heaven, which is the Tao. It suggests the germinal vessel is the dragon castle on the floor of the sea, the heavenly heart, the terrace of life, the dark pass, the space of former heaven. The beginning, in which everything is still unity, lies on the floor of the sea, in the darkness of the unconscious. In the germinal vesicle, life and consciousness, essence and life, hissing and ming, are still a unit, inseparably mixed like the seeds of fire in the refining furnace. An alchemic process of refining and ennobling, darkness gives birth to light. Out of the lead of the water region grows the noble gold. The unconscious becomes conscious in the form of a process of life and growth. In this way, Young comments, the union of consciousness and life takes place. The union of these two, life and consciousness, is Tao, whose symbol would be the central white light, compare this with the Bardo total of Tibetan metaphysics, and the dwelling place of the light is the space between the eyes. 
By means of these symbols, it is intended to make visible the creative point, or that which has intensity without extension, the space of the square inch, which has extension, yet contains the limitless light. The two together make Tao. Essence, or consciousness, Hissing, is expressed in light symbolism, and is therefore intensity, while life, Ming, would coincide with extension. The first has the character of the Yang principle, the latter of the Yin. The enclosure, or circumambulatio, Young continues, is expressed in the text by the idea of a circular course, which is the marking off of the sacred precinct, within which is a fixation and concentration. The sun wheel begins to run, that is to say the sun is activated, and begins to take its course, or in other words, Tao begins to be effective and to take leadership. Young comments, thus the circular movement also has a moral significance of activating all the light and dark forces of human nature, and with them, all the psychological opposites of whatever kind they may be. That means nothing else than self-knowledge by means of self-incubation. A similar primordial concept of an absolutely complete creature is that of the platonic man, round on all sides and uniting with himself the two sexes. Jung continues with examples of mystical experiences of westernness which parallel these Chinese concepts. He notes specific effects of the meditation process which are called confirmatory experiences in the text. These include suspension of breathing, extraordinary visions of the light and suspension of bodily sensations. He mentions the ubiquity and importance of mandala motifs as symbols of the self, that is, the central archetype of the psyche. With reference to the Taoist phrase, the centre in the midst of the conditions, Jung indicates that the meditation process should centre on reducing the endless and multitudinous distraction of the world and other people. He compares these to the autonomous complexes and disintegrations of consciousness, which the text refers to as entanglements and ensnarements. Young has personally pioneered this subject and the term complex, now so widely used, was introduced by him. He next takes the subject of anima and animus, terms used by Wilhelm in the translation into German and from there into English. Although these are another technical innovation of Young's, he distances himself from their use in the translation, preferring instead the concepts of Eros and Logos, which are more impersonal and archetypal. In the next section, the detachment of consciousness from the object, Young comments that by understanding the unconscious we free ourselves from its domination. This is the aim, he claims, of the instructions in The Secret of the Golden Flower and also of analytical psychology. The pupil or adept is taught how to concentrate on the light of the inmost region and at the same time become free from all outer and inner bondage. The life will is guided towards a consciousness without content, which nonetheless permits all contents to exist.
The text of The Secret of the Golden Flower talks about this detachment. Quote, A radiance of light surrounds the world of the mind. We forget each other, quiet and pure, all-powerful and empty. Consciousness dissolves itself in vision. The disk of the moon floats solitary. Unquote. This is a detachment of consciousness from the world and a withdrawal to an extra mundane point. In this way, consciousness is both empty and not empty. It is no longer preoccupied with the images of things. This seems like the concept of participation mystique, characterising primitive mentality, the non-differentiation between subject and object. But Young suggests that the experience described in The Secret of the Golden Flower is more akin to a union of the conscious and unconscious, a rough translation of his Sing and Ming, the yin and yang principles, and therefore is an experience of the archetype of the self, where polarities and opposites are united and no longer in conflict. He writes that the centre of gravity of the total personality shifts its position. It ceases to be in the ego, which is merely the centre of consciousness, and is located instead in what might be called a virtual point between the conscious and the unconscious. This new centre might be called the self. He continues, The integration and birth of this superior personality is the achievement meant by our text. When it speaks of the holy fruit, the diamond body, or of any other sort of indestructible body, these expressions are psychologically symbolical of an attitude which is invulnerable to emotional entanglements and violent upheavals. In a word, they symbolise a consciousness free from the world. He continues, This is a natural preparation for death and sets in after midlife. Chinese yoga philosophy bases itself upon the fact of this instinctive preparation for death as a goal and following the analogy with the goal of the first half of life, namely begetting and reproduction, or the means towards perpetuation of physical life, it takes as the aim of spiritual existence the begetting and perpetuation of the psychic spirit body, the subtle body, which ensures the continuity of the detached consciousness. It is the birth of the pneumatic man, known to the European from antiquity. Jung is aware that parts of the text sound close to Christian ascetic morality, conquering sensual impulses, the higher light, overcoming darkness and so on. But he insists that this is not the case, but rather that the East, in general, fulfilled its instinctual demands before such a journey was undertaken. So it was begun typically in the second half of life. Also that the real spirit of the Chinese text is of a creative union of the dark and light rather than the suppression of one and the dominance of the other. In the final section of the commentary called The Fulfillment, Jung accepts the inevitable limitations of talking about matters which cannot be apprehended or understood with the limits of the mind. However, never lacking in style with his own words, he concludes, 
Quote, the aim of my commentary is the effort to build a bridge of psychological understanding between East and West, to emphasise the agreement between the psychic conditions and symbolism of East and West, because, by means of these analogies, there has opened a way to the inner chambers of the Eastern mind. This way does not demand the sacrifice of our own nature, and does not threaten us with being torn from our roots. Furthermore, it is not an intellectual telescope or microscope offering a view which does not concern us because it does not grip us. It is rather the atmosphere of suffering, seeking and striving common to all civilised people. It is the tremendous experiment of becoming conscious, which nature has imposed on mankind, uniting the most diverse cultures in a common task. Western consciousness, he continues, is by no means consciousness in general, but rather a historically conditioned and geographically limited factor, representative of only one part of humanity. The European invasion of the East was a deed of violence on a great scale, and it has left us the duty, noblesse oblige, of understanding the mind of the East. This, he concludes, is perhaps more necessary than we realise at present. Young was known to be not in favour of meditation as a practice for the West, believing that it strengthened the ego, and that was the last thing the Westerner required. There is also, in Young's commentary, little reference to chakras, and Young seems to indicate that the point between the eyes is synonymous with light, that is, consciousness. While this makes these Eastern concepts accessible to the West and akin to his own psychology, it is more fruitful, I believe, to view the meditation process as a profound relativizing of the ego, that the point between the brow is the sixth chakra, and that the circulation of the light is an energic process not exactly the same as making the unconscious conscious, but more to do with an activation of the dynamism of the deep psyche, its healing energies, and its illuminatory capacities, more akin to the higher self. Michael Washburn, in The Ego and the Dynamic Ground, devotes a chapter to the consideration of meditation as an aid to the individuation process. He points to firstly the ego, volition, cognition, internal dialogue and so on, being loosened and detaching from consciousness, and slowly the mind quietens. Secondly, how the meditator becomes aware of the embedded repressive mechanisms, prejudices, character stances that make up one's personal unconscious. Accordingly, the behavioural acting out and even body postures associated with these begin to be questioned and loosened. One becomes more deeply acquainted with one's own shadow, even one's madness. This can be unnerving, and it is easy to give up on the meditation journey. If, however, one crosses the ground of the fundamental repressive forces in one's psyche and integrates the shadow, one may enter into a union of opposites of conscious and the unconscious, the dynamic ground as Washburn calls it, one may pass from a one-pointedness, 
for example concentration on the breath or mantra, to a state of objectless contemplation, samadhi. Yoga practices can assist this process so as to unblock resistances and allow energy to flow properly. Washburn comments that yoga postures have much the same effect on the physical level as meditation on the psychic. I also believe that other disciplines such as Qigong and Kundalini Yoga also have powerful effects on loosening the physical, mental, psychological and spiritual levels and engage in practices such as the circulation of energy and the light that are the same as those mentioned in The Secret of the Golden Flower. I first became aware of the power of these methods in my practice as a psychotherapist around my mid-career. A number of things occurred which I have alluded to in previous podcasts. Firstly, I became aware of field effects between myself and the client, in which the separate boundaries of our psyches dissolved. This was not an everyday occurrence, but occasional, but always highly charged and significant. These were moments of great opportunity to engage in deep work and gave one considerable insight into the sufferings of the client and also for the healing possibilities arising. Secondly, I became aware of effects, especially in my sixth chakra, the point between the brows, whereby light, starting as a point, extended without limit, that this light had the capacity to scan the psyche, other chakras, and especially emotional wounds located within them. Thirdly, that this light could affect great healing. Fourthly, that certain clients could engage in such practices also. This became very important in my psychotherapy practice, which to this day is an integrative practice in which analytical, clinical and psychoanalytic work is combined with the transpersonal. I have attempted to show in previous podcasts how this union of opposites can be achieved in the practice of psychotherapy. I recalled from my reading of The Secret of the Golden Flower as a young man prior to my training that similar processes were referred to in that text. I became increasingly aware that Jung himself had worked in quite unusual and transpersonal ways and that my practice could benefit greatly by paying close attention to these methods and the philosophies of the Far East, which lay behind them. The healing of emotional and spiritual wounds has been the concern of humanity since the beginning and has had great focus in ancient civilizations. Our task is to take the wisdom of the past and incorporate it into the present. That brings us to the end of this season on the healing of emotional wounds. I've enjoyed it very much. I hope you have found it also enjoyable and instructive. I hope you can join me for the new season that will start shortly on the quest and the search for vision. Finally, there is a meditation program currently running which follows the Secret of the Golden Flower as its study text. It is linked by emails from myself to the group and it is still possible to join since we are still in the early stages of this programme. Contact details in alanmulhern.com.